Growing up, my father, his name is Chuck, he was a man who worked with his hands. He owned his own business where he laid carpet, tile, and wood floors. That was his job. But my dad could really do anything. He could build decks, fix cars, do electrical work. And he, he used to build things for me. He made my very own homemade putt-putt golf course. A dirt basketball court with a chain net. My dad was a fixer. He just fixed things, all, all kinds of things. I never brought anything to my dad that he couldn't fix. Toy trucks or toy guns, a flat basketball, a flat pool float. He could fix anything. And I guess because of that, I tended to grow up with a sense that everything could be fixed. If my teeth aren't straight, I can find a chuck, but in the orthodontics field, and he can fix it. If my grass isn't green, I can find a chuck, but in the landscape field, and he can fix it. If my grades were terrible, I could find a chuck, but in the tutoring field, and he could fix it. Whatever the problem is, there's someone out there who is trained to fix it. Well-meaning, well-meaning Christian counselors must have grown up with a similar mindset because they consistently imply that if you buy this book or go to this conference, you will be fixed. We will fix you like we fix a golf swing. Real life, however, doesn't match our theories. When Sarah and I moved for my first pastorate, we left a big city and went to a, a small community. From a mega church to a, a country church. And Everly was our oldest and we didn't know how she would respond with her whole world turned upside down. But she did great. Never missed a beat. Just embraced the whole process. However, one of our boys had a hard time with it. He developed a stutter as soon as we moved. We put him in speech therapy and Sarah worked hours and hours with him. I never forget him attempting to speak to me and saying, Daddy, my talk is broke. Dad, how long will I be broken? For the first time in my life, I faced something I couldn't fix. That experience has not been uncommon in my life. Pastoring has brought many situations like that. Every divorce rings with the words, it can't be fixed. Every job disappointment screams, it can't be fixed. Every white coat walking into your room saying, we can try to manage it, is really saying it can't be fixed. We are living in a world that is profoundly broken. We inhabit a world where church services may be interrupted by a crazed gunman who shoot to kill. Which is why every Sunday we have people stationed all around. We inhabit a, wor inhabit a world where innocent children are abduct abducted from their beds never to be seen again. Some of you know of this brokenness. Some of you have continued effects of a dysfunctional childhood. Or you have terrible mental struggles. Deep depression or uncontrollable anxiety. Or you were hurt so deeply once you have never really recovered. And you often wonder, how long will I be broken? This isn't a wrong question, it's a 
It's a heart-wrenching question. The disciples asked it to Jesus in Matthew 24, how long? The souls of the martyred saints asked it in Revelation 6, how long? And now it's time for us to ask it in this fashion. How long will my brokenness last? God knew you would ask this question, so he gets one of his angels to ask, how long for you? Notice in verse 6, verse 6b, how long shall it be till the end? Now, here's the context. Daniel sees two angels standing on opposite sides of the river. And there seems to be a man clothed in linen hovering above the river. And then verse 6 picks up. And the angel on the, on the bank said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? What are wonders? Because that sounds like a positive word, not a, not a negative word. Well, you must remember that Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12 are one vision. If we didn't have COVID and I didn't have to shorten my sermons to 25 minutes, I would have preached all three chapters together. Daniel has been hearing for two chapters that he and his people will suffer at the hands of earthly kings. They will be oppressed, inundated, sacked, savagely attacked, abused, slaughtered. And before Daniel can get the question out of his mouth, an angel on the bank asks the question for him. How long will God's people have to endure this? And the man clothed in linen answers in verse 7. And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand. Let's pause for a moment. We have this tradition in our culture. I testified to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But notice the, as the verse continues. He raised his right hand and his left hand. What an emphasis. What an unusual emphasis. Toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. Now, the Hebrew word time appears 223 times in the Bible. Sometimes it's translated congregation 150 times. So it would read like this. It would be for a congregation, congregations, and half a congregation. It's translated feast 23 times, season 13 times, appointed 12 times, time 12 times, days one time, and a few other occurrences. But some pastors believe it refers to years. So in verse 7, time, that's one year, times, that's two years, and half a time, you add all those up, it's three and a half years. And that's good news. <laughs> Your brokenness will only last for three and a half years. Good news for you, good news for Israel. Wait a minute. Israel had a long, rough ride of living. They suffered much from the Babylonians, then the Medo Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans. They've suffered all throughout history, even from the Crusades. They've suffered from Herods and Hitlers. They've suffered and suffered and suffered. And it lasted a lot longer than three and a half years. So it can't mean years. Now, some scholars believe it represents half of the tribulation period. So it still represents that three and a half years. I see it, that, that may be right. I see it like this. A, and I think it's a better translation. A season 
seasons and half a season. This is one of the most solemn moments in the entire book. The phrase indicates an extended period of time, but it also indicates that God knows exactly when that extended period of time will end. God has a precise timetable for your trials to be completed. The timing of the exact end of your brokenness is known precisely by the Lord. Notice the end of verse 7. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Now let's back up. When are all things going to be finished? When the shattering of the power of the holy people comes. When the powers of darkness have done their worst against the people of God and the hopes of the people of God seem shattered, God will act. Ligon Duncan said it like this, The grim work of the oppressors will roll on and on and on, but at the appropriate moment, God will intervene. And I know some of you are tired of being broken. There is a certain fatigue that sets in when God's people suffer east of Eden. And when God's stuttering children ask, How long will I be broken? When God's stuttering people ask, how long will I be broken? God responds, I have the day and the hour, dear child, when it's coming to an end. Now that's comforting. But we still have questions. Like the one in verse 8. Daniel says, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? You know, it's, it's camouflaged. It's, it's wearing camo in English, but, but in the Hebrew it's a little clearer. The, the question is four words in Hebrew. Simply put, Lord, why all this? Wouldn't you ask the same question if you knew for generations ahead your people would be caught in wars, great trouble, lifelong brokenness? Uh, let's rephrase Daniel's question like this. Why is brokenness allowed into my life. Why does God allow stuttering? Why does God allow my heartbreak, my disappointment, my trouble, my brokenness? It's quite a surprising answer to Daniel's question and to ours in verse 9. He said, Go your way, Daniel. <laughs> Not very comforting, is it? <laughs> Go your way, Daniel. I'm not giving you any more details about this now. Just go about and do your daily business. You say, Kyle, no, I want an answer, Kyle. Well, God did answer it. He said, go about your business, live your life, and trust that I'm sovereign over your brokenness. As parents, we know that there are times when we deliberately cause pain to our children in a, in a variety of ways that they cannot understand is for their ultimate good. For example, Sarah took Haddon to the doctor for shots. We knew it would cause him pain. And we do not rejoice in seeing him in pain. We ache. We wish we could take the pain ourselves. And he didn't understand why he had to have the shots. He asked, why do I have to get those shots, Daddy? And I tried to explain to him, but his fear blocked my words from penetrating. 
Even though we knew those four needles would be painful and unpleasant, we had to deliver him to the needles because our responsibility as parents is to love him well. And church, I have no idea what is causing your brokenness. But I know that the length of the needle and the place of the injection is determined by the Lord. Sarah and I did not expect for Haddon to enjoy the shots. And your good father in heaven is not expecting for you to enjoy the experience. But to persevere through the experience. It was completely okay for Haddon to feel pain. And to cry out for the assurance of his father. To do anything less is unhuman. But he needs to keep sitting on the doctor's table. Because that's where his father placed him. God says, trust me. Even though you can't possibly understand what's going on. Trust me. We need to remind ourselves daily that the brokenness and trials we face. Do not come to us randomly. Or by chance. Our heavenly father has fitted. He has fitted these trials to our needs. And he uses them to shape us. Into his image. Now to help me better teach this passage. I'm going to switch from questions to assertions. And here's the third movement in the text. We must learn to live faithfully. In the midst of brokenness. Notice verse 10. Many shall purify themselves. And make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly. And one of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall under. But none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. Daniel, the wicked are just going to keep on being wicked. And there are only two kinds of people in the world. The wicked and the wise. And trouble flushes out the wicked just as surely as it refines the wise. COVID-19 flushes out the pretenders just as surely as it roots the authentic. The refiner's fire does not create the pure metal. It simply reveals it. Trials serve To reveal the difference between the wicked and the wise. Now it's about to get super confusing in verses 11 and 12. And and I, I love the honesty and humility of James Boyce when he comes to these verses. Concerning them he says, there are things here which we cannot yet explain. And I echo that sentiment. I've read dozens of commentaries and listened to several fine expositors and I'm still hazy on it. It's obscure to the best exegetes. But let's let it wash over us. Verse 11. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. Two specific numbers. 1,290 days and 1,335 days. Now, some scholars can give you a watertight explanation on exactly what these events and what these numbers point to and when and where they were fulfilled. I can't. Or rather, I cannot with confidence. However, just because you don't understand everything doesn't mean you can't understand something. The point is, you must be prepared to persevere a long time. 
and then a little bit longer, and then a little bit longer. You have to develop the discipline of living in a broken world. You say, for how long? Verse 13, but go your way till the end. (laughs) Daniel is told that his job in response to all of this is to go on and endure. In other words, you need to understand how to live with wisdom in a broken world. Don't abandon your duties in the midst of brokenness. Go to work. Feed the kids. Cut the grass. Get out of bed. Brush your teeth. You must not allow yourself to be overwhelmed with despair. Discipline yourself to do two things. First, discipline yourself to worship with God's people every Sunday. You will gain strength to persevere when you're worshiping with God's people corporately. If, if, if you can't take an hour out of your week to worship the creator of the universe, that says more about your soul than it does the brokenness you are facing. Secondly, discipline yourself to feast on God's word in the middle of your brokenness. See, Satan will deceive you into thinking that other things will satisfy or heal your brokenness. He'll try to distract you. Probably swinging something shiny in your face. Or popularity or whatever. Don't seek to be famous. Seek to be faithful. We live in a world where everyone's trying to be an online influencer. Gain followers, likes, and shares. Simplify your life. And get before the one who put his son... Not on a doctor's table, but on a rugged cross. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but I did something that is uncharacteristic for me. And that is, I skipped the, four verse, the first four verses of this chapter. I did it purposefully so that I could give you this truth now. You live in a broken world, but you have hope. Of another world. Theologians call these first four verses the eschatological ethic. Living with hope that Jesus will come changes the way you live in a broken world. And this book is filled with rescues. You know Daniel. Rescue from a fiery furnace. Rescue from a lion's den. But the ultimate rescue happens in Daniel 12, 1. And it reads like this. And at that time shall arise Michael. The great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble. Such as has never been since there was a nation till that time. Let's stop there. We're definitely at the end times with this verse. Michael is a super angel, a hero angel, a champion angel. The Jason born of angels. The great defender of the people of God. And he's standing behind the wobbly people of God in their darkest trouble. And the verse continues... But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Mark this. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. This is why I do not believe Christians can lose their salvation. I didn't say that someone can't claim to be a Christian, but actually isn't one. That happens a lot in the States. I didn't say that someone who prayed a prayer years ago but had no life change is actually a Christian. No, no. What what I'm saying is if you've truly been born again, repented of sin, and trusted Jesus Christ, then your deliverance is assured because your name is written in the book. 
Your eternal destiny is secure. Your heavenly citizenship cannot be revoked. And you didn't write your name in that heavenly book. God took the quill and penned your name in that book. And no eraser has ever touched the book. God has never once has been like, oh man, that one, that one down, whoa, that one down there fooled me. I thought for sure he was a Christian. Give me my eraser. Let me take him out. God never said, wow, I had no idea these crummy people would actually have these disgusting thoughts run through their minds. I'm erasing these losers. God doesn't use an eraser to get rid of names. He uses an eraser to get rid of sin. You did nothing to put your name in the book. And nothing you can do can take your name out of the book. How will this God deliver us from a broken world? I'm glad you asked. Verse 2. And many... This word many emphasizes the great number. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, sometimes you'll read literature about the Old Testament. And they'll say things like, oh, uh, the, the Old Testament saints, they had no concept of the afterlife in which they fellowship with God. There was no concept in the Old Testament of a resurrection. Well, here's one. They will rise. They will be awake. Daniel's not the only guy in the Old Testament to speak of a resurrection. Isaiah, who lived a century before Daniel, predicted that dead men would live again and their bodies would rise. Hosea, a contemporary of Isaiah, said in chapter 13, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Job probably the oldest book in the Bible, who probably lived before Moses, said this, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy the body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. He knew he would be resurrected. The Old Testament saints had a, had a rich theology of a resurrection. If you're a Christian here, you will be resurrected, notice what the verse says, to everlasting life. This is the first time this term is used in the Bible. The context makes it clear that this is not only about the length of life with our God, but also about the quality of life with Him. Everlasting life is not endless boredom, but, but endless glory. Dear friends, here, here's what I'm trying to tell you. The resurrection is the answer for your continued brokenness. Whatever sadness you are experiencing here is not the end of the story. Glory awaits. If Jesus can bring you out of the grave, he can bring you out of brokenness. This week I was reading specialists. A specialist who, who analyzed the problem of suicide say that people basically do not kill themselves because of their current circumstance. They do it because they can't see any further change in the current circumstance. There's no hope that anything will ever be any different. And men cannot live without hope, especially men who suffer. They must have hope or they are miserable. 
And God knows well that in order for you to endure your present stress, you have to have a future hope. Arnett wrote many years ago, he said, he said, hope is the tenant. Hope is the tenant, not of a heart that was never broken, but of a heart that has been broken and healed again. Eternity is meant to outweigh the temporal. Let's just back up for a moment and, and think, well, what happened to Daniel? We're finishing the book now. Well, Daniel will remain in captivity. He will age. He will know pain in the present and grief in the future. He will not see Israel's glory restored. His people will not have a great revival under his ministry. His enemies will not be conquered in his lifetime. Glory is not yet. But it is sufficient to keep him faithful in the present. Everyone in this room will be resurrected. Everyone. Christians and non-Christians. Towner says this is the first and only ambiguous reference to the double resurrection of the dead in the entire Old Testament. The double resurrection of the dead. So my, my non-Christian friend, sin like a virus is an invisible enemy. And you've contracted it at birth. You want to know the percentage of people who have COVID and actually die from it? Well, it's a lot less than the percentage of people infected with sin and die from it. Because that's 100%. Non-Christian, there, there is no middle ground. Your ultimate destiny will either be bright glory or utter darkness. In fact, Revelation 14, 11 actually prophesies what it's going to be like when, when you, non-Christian, are resurrected. And what you will be resurrected to. Revelation 14, 11 says, The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and you have no rest day or night. Dear friend, what are you waiting for? Repent of your sin and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Run to Him as Lord. Everyone is running around washing their hands. You need to run to Christ, the only one who can wash your soul. Non-Christian, I just want you to think about that for a moment. Just take some, just zone out from me talking and think about that. Because I'm, I'm going to speak to those of you who are Christians for a moment. Nothing we can do is more important than making sure that others understand the eternal consequences of not following Jesus Christ. You've been so consumed with a temporary, a temporary, a temporary virus that you've ignored eternal souls. Heaven and hell hang in the balance. Are you inviting your non-Christian friends to get under the sound of the gospel? Are you unpacking it to them? C.S. Lewis said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Witness to the immortals. How many times in the last three months have you talked to a, a, a non-Christian about COVID? How many times in the last three months have you talked to a non-Christian about Christ? Notice verse 3. The hope just jumps off the page. 
And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now some of you didn't even, some of you didn't even know about this. Christian, when you're resurrected, you will be resurrected to rewards. When we die, our spirit goes immediately to be with Jesus Christ, and it's only the body that we wait for. And in that day, when the body is resurrected, we'll be rewarded. The New Testament talks a lot about rewards and crowns. John MacArthur said about this verse, he said, I believe in eternity we will shine as stars. And I believe that the capacity to glorify God will be dependent upon our faithfulness on earth. End quote. We will all have the capacity to eternally radiate the glory of God. We'll all be blazing stars in eternity. But there's a special glow for those who turn many to righteousness. Spurgeon called this the soul winner's promise. It's a powerful motivation for evangelism. And let me just say this, lest you think when you're resurrected you cease to be you. You are more you than you've ever been. But you have the capacity to radiate the glory of God. And what a powerful motive for evangelism. John Calvin adds, God has deposited the teaching of his salvation with us. Not for the purpose of our privately keeping it to ourselves. But for our pointing out the way of salvation to all mankind. Now we have lots of stars in our day. Hollywood stars, sports stars, they will flicker and die out. But those who put others on the right path to life and eternity will glow like stars forever. It's interesting, the book of Revelation picks up so much on the imagery in Daniel. And it, it actually says that, that one will come and ultimately deliver us. And the one who comes and delivers us from our brokenness is the bright and morning star. Revelation 22, 16. Jesus is the bright and morning star. Now, all pieces of the Bible are connected. In 1 John 3, 2, we shall be like him. We shall be like Jesus. We shall shine like the stars forever and ever. We shall be like the bright and morning star. He saved us for his own glory so that we could eternally reflect it. Thank you for listening to this resource of Faith Family Church. We gather on Sundays at 495 Hugh Hunter Road in Oak Grove, Kentucky, and are a short drive from Fort Campbell and Hopkinsville, Kentucky, as well as Clarksville, Tennessee. For more information, visit our website, myfaithfamilychurch.com.